white peach? Yeah, uh, well, this is the black peach. Black. Hey, everybody, I'm Colin. And my name is Javen. And this is the Abstract Podcast, where we talk about ideas that matter. Today is Friday, October 25th. And we are down here in the studio, uh, the pub, as we call it down here, the publications room. And we are drinking tea, peach tea. This is my third cup today. My first? Mm Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Yeah. We'll just do a shameless plug for Stash Peach Tea. It is... is Add a little bit of honey. Yeah, it's probably the best thing ever. It is quite good. Yeah, so this week on the show, we decided not to have a guest. It's just going to be me and Colin talking, because... We realized that most of the time, this podcast has just been guest talking for the most part. Yep. So today we're just here, just to talk about what we've been thinking about. Just, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> I think it's important that we take time. Well, first of all, to just to think about things and to allow things to captivate us um, and allow our minds to to process them. But then also that we give ourselves space to like flush it out and talk to people about it, talk to each other about it, learn from each other. So, with that as an introduction, Colin, what have you been thinking about? I've been thinking about Hershberger's Bakery. Yeah. Um, we're sponsored by them this episode, and <laughs> as always. Thankful for their sponsorship. We don't have bread, because um, we didn't have bread just for us. Right. Um, but, yeah, as always, they have pastries, they got food, they got well, The question drinks. is, can you be a guest on your own podcast? Yeah. If so, we could have got ourselves bread. So there would have been some ethical implications of us <laughs> taking a loaf of bread. But either way, we're grateful they sponsor us, and uh, I'm sure our guests appreciate it, yeah. too. So next week on the show, we have Carlin, right? Carlin Backer is scheduled to talk about um, his experience of the Ebola crisis in Sierra Leone and uh, just kind of his personal walk through all of that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Carlin, I like Carlin. He's a great guy and mm. fun to talk to. So... So now with that in mind, um, now we'll start talking about what yes. we've been thinking about. Do you want to? Do you want to start us off by asking the question or by saying what we're thinking about? Either one. Really. Well, I, I kind of know what I want to ask you about a little bit, and I think I can kind of segue yeah. from there. So Go I'll ask it. you first off. You've done some writing. You did some, I think, specifically over the summer, um, and you did one too after. Um, Childish Bambino released his music video. For this is America. Oh yeah, yeah. You wrote one after that too, talking about your experience of America, um, and in both of those, you kind of talked about um, how people describe the good old days um, and how they describe the current days as not the good old days, um, but a far, far cry from those. Yeah. And you pulled that line from was it the rookie? Um, things are still looking up. Or they're looking okay, or something like that. Yeah, there's this scene where they're driving past the oil fields. Yeah, and he says, as long right. as those, the oil rigs are still going up and down, then times are still good. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, you kind of pull. Uh, I, I thought it was really interesting what you were talking about. So flesh out a little bit what what you were trying to communicate with those posts, with that writing. And you wrote a few songs about this too, right? Yeah, I think I wrote a song about. It. I did. Yeah, it just can be found somewhere. Yeah. You know, and I have to recognize up front that my perspective is pretty limited because I haven't been around long enough to to look back on my own life and say those were the good old days. But, yeah, I get really tired of hearing people talk this way um, in just so many different contexts. Like, first of all, I think in your own personal life, to look back and say, 
man, those were the good old days. Back when whatever, whatever. But then I also get really tired of hearing people talk about that in terms of the country. Like, we've fallen so far. Hmm. People will, you know, they'll just be so brash in in the way that they um, contextualize our time. Like, they'll say we're by far the most, hmm. you know, impoverished, mm-hmm. not impoverished, but like morally impoverished yeah, generation sure. to ever live. Or, you know, these things <laughs> where they just talk about America as if we've fallen so far from the pinnacle that we once stood on. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's just... It's just completely ridiculous to say that. But I've been thinking about it um, lately, I guess from just a, a personal point of view, when people, well, I shouldn't say when people, because I think we all do this, but when we look back on the past and say, boy, those are the good old days, and we kind of lament where we're at now, um, I think it tends toward legalism. But then it also, it's it's a lack of gratefulness, I think, too. Um yeah, man. I, there's just so many things. So, here, well, let's quick go back. You said um, there's this understanding that well, in the in the good old days, there was this pinnacle, and now there's understanding of our current context. Yeah. So is, are you – do you find more problems with the understanding of it, there's a pinnacle we've fallen from, or with our understanding of our current cultural clim- climate or context? Yeah. You know what I'm asking? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so I think my main problem is that – when you talk about the good old days, it's almost as if we um, we ascended to the good, like we reached the good, and then we left it behind. And when you describe good like that, it's like it's something that um, it's not like moving through time. It's not dynamic and changing. Mm-hmm. So it's like what was good was the same for Paul mm. as it was for my great-grandpa, as it was for me when I was 20, as it should be for now. And so okay, when saying. you talk about good like that, it doesn't leave any room for, like, creativity or innovation or mm. your dreams to come true or, like, new things to happen that are going to be better. Mm. And then I think this actually ties really closely to to being, um, like, it's a very legalistic way of defining what's good and what's not good. Because then when, you know, when you look at, well, this is the way we we behaved 50 years ago, and it was working for us then. So if we do the same thing, it would be mm. good for us now. That's a very like static way of defining right. good. It doesn't leave, you know, what, what we think of like as the good life. It changes, man, and it gets mm. better, and it improves, and we innovate. But if you are always looking back and saying, "Man, those were the good old days," I just think it's so constricting. Right, right. No, I, I'm tracking with you there. Okay, so that's what your understanding of when people talk about the pinnacle. It, it leaves no room for creativity, innovation, because it's a static good that cannot develop and get go yeah. from good to better. Yeah, and I, I just think it, it's kind of unfair, too. But, um... Well, because I've thought also, about it before. Yeah, Sorry, cut you off. No. Because I've thought about the one problem I can have when I hear that sentiment said, I said, is the problem I can have is... It is. It can feel like a fairly limited perspective, um, even ethnically or racially, because I'm saying if you're looking, if there's this euphoric, you know, 50, 100 years ago was the good old days. If you're African-American, you're not saying those are the good old days. <laughs> Certainly not. Um, there's, or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or if you're, you know, Irish slum in, you know, in New York City or where they're immigrating or things like that. Those were not the good old days. So from your perspective, you may be facing more change than what you have ever been accustomed to facing. But to put that as 
the rationale for that is because the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Um, seems limited. Yeah, so I want to talk a little bit about the whole, you know, America headed for hell thing in a second. Yeah. But one thing I also think could play a part in this is, you know, it seems like whenever we we talk back about the good old days, you know, it's it's our youth. And, you know, typically when you're in your youth, those are the times when, like, I mean, for us, everything is new. Like, we're doing so many things mm-hmm. for the first time. And so we, <laughs> the fountain of youth is, like, flowing through us, you know. So, like, the world is open to anything. You know, anything anything could happen. There's so much potential. Mm-hmm. There's so much being accomplished and happening that's never happened before. And so I think in that sense, like, you have a, you have a new vision kind of for the for your life when you're young. And so I can see that how when you, when you get older and when you've been kind of living in the production of your vision right. for 30 years, it would be easy to lose that. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that's what, I guess that's the point of even this conversation where you need, you need to constantly let your imagination be captivated and mm-hmm. let things intrigue you and search things out. And I think possibly when we, we neglect the wonder, you know, mm-hmm. neglect paying attention to those things is when it's easy to just say, boy, those are the good old days back then. Right. Yeah. And that's the whole idea behind um, your midlife crisis, right? Your vision has run out yeah. um, of what you were aspiring to, and you have to get a new vision and yeah. find something to consume your imagination again. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, it was really interesting. I was talking to someone um, at a different stage in life um, a few nights ago a married couple and you know they were saying we all we just we go through different seasons and they said learning what it is to be married for the first year Hmm. you know you have to learn that but then they said you know once you have kids then you have to learn what it is to be married again and then once your kids move away you have to learn what it is to be married again and I really like that perspective it's in, in that way we're all on the same playing field where we're all learning what we're supposed to be doing as it's happening you don't live for forty years and then you figure it out, right? But I think if you don't, if you don't embrace that view, it's easy to stagnate and say, "Yeah, boy, those were the good old days." Yeah, yeah. But then also moving towards this thing of um, that that things now are just so much worse than they used to right. be. Right. We're headed to hell in a handbasket. Yeah, and like yeah. nationally, I just yeah, I, it might be easy to say that if you're. I don't know, stuck in a room without looking out. Mm-hmm. But, like, it just seems like on so many fronts, things are just so much better than they used to be. And not, not everything, certainly. But um, we were having this conversation uh, the other day. We were camping, actually, and my dad was talking about, you know, when he was a kid, the things that were available to him versus what's available to me, it's not even close. Like For example? Th- so <laughs> I can be in college. Yeah. Or, or even a better example, like my brother Luke, he just holds down a normal job. Yeah. The things that he can afford comfortably right. are just incredible compared right. to what, what it used to be like. My brother can have a car. Yeah. He can have a phone. I mean, he lives at home, but he could be paying rent. Yeah. He could have a girlfriend and take her out. Like, for the amount of work that we have to put in versus the opportunity that's available to us, it's impossible to look back and say that things are getting worse on that yeah. front, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and you have so much more availability about what you even want to do. Yeah. Because, um, like, yeah, for, for Luke or for you or for me, we can, we don't have to 
have only there's only this one thing that we can do if we want to have those things to try to create a better yeah. life. We have multiple multiple options. That's why I'm in college to be a teacher because I want to be a teacher. Yeah. You're in college for communications because you want to be in communications. Yeah, whatever who knows, you do right? <laughs> um, but we get to do what we want to do, and you get to try to flesh that out to create a better life for you and your family. And you just have lots of options to do it now. And that, for me, I, I love that. Yeah, and I think, I think for those of us who are in this position, where we are able to go to college and pursue what we want, I think we owe a really big debt to our parents. Mm-hmm. For, for I guess, I mean, it's everyone has a different situation, but at least I think for me and you, providing an environment where, you know, we were allowed to go after that and stable enough to do that. Like I know my parents, I still live at home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they. They provide a lot of my uh, hierarchy, the lowest level of the hierarchy mm-hmm. of needs, yeah. like, you know, the food and shelter and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's... But I it guess, keeps you humble, too, when you understand. But, you know, even if you go back beyond our parents, you know, our probably both of our great-grandparents, maybe one more generation after that, you know, they had to make the decision to immigrate here. Yeah. Um, and it's... You think of all the things that had to fall in place for us to be have this opportunity. Yeah. That reminds me, one of my favorite quotes which I don't, I can't quote word for word, but it goes something like this, and I don't even know who it's from. But it says, like, my father had to be, or no, maybe he says it, we. He's like, we have to be soldiers and fight. That way, like, our children can be mathematicians. Mm -hmm. That way their children can be doctors, and their children can be, uh, I think it's like, construction workers or something like that so their children can be poets you know like mm-hmm. so if we are able to do things that we consider important and we have enough food and free time mm-hmm. to pursue them i think we owe a debt to those who came before us for sure right but i think that the evidence of us being here not having to <laughs> i mean that we can sit in a in a radio room and talk about what we've been thinking about yeah. on friday at 12 o'clock yeah is evidence that our lives are not that bad. Right. They're pretty good. Yeah. I think it's really, it's not only selfish, but you're doing a serious disservice to those who actually had it bad mm-hmm. to say that America is headed for hell and we have things rough now. I, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, enough about that. That's my thing. What do you think? Well, no, that? so, okay, I'll kind of segue off of what you were talking about because what I've been thinking about kind of has to do with... Um, uh, ways we can see the world. The world's going to hell, but yet, you know, God's coming back soon. He's going to burn it all anyway and take us all to the good place. Um, Survive, yeah, ride yeah, it out. Yeah, ride it out. <laughs> ride it out. Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. Um, so, some of what's been on my mind is the one thing I've loved about um, my last year or two here at, at TFC is having to tease out a little bit more what I mean when I say things specifically um, like my sacred speech, so like church talk. Um, so the reason I say that I've been thinking about that is because sometimes I think we can get, or let me, let me rephrase that. So there, I'll just start it off with an example. A speaker was going to a church, and he starts talking. Uh, he wants to talk about grace. And so he just says, hey, what does grace mean? And there's just silence. And everybody was amening all that stuff up until that point. Yes, grace. Woo, that's good stuff. Um, agreed. 
But then when he actually asked, okay, what is it? It was just silence. And then finally one guy speaks up. He's like, well, to me it means forgiveness. And then to someone else he said, well, to me it means love. And kind of went down the list. Um, But that story, I think, kind of illustrates how sometimes we can interpret these words we read in Scripture and interpret them in our own context with our own preconceived notions of what comes to our mind when we read a word. Um, That sometimes can just be different enough to where not necessarily bad, but sometimes maybe just a little bit off um, to where we can miss a little something. And so I've, yeah, kind of, but see when grace, I, I think when grace can mean forgiveness and can mean love and can mean all those things, it can kind of make to where grace kind of means nothing because it's just a synonym for all these other things. Yeah. So the thing that made me think about it is like if all our words kind of mean the same thing, then all our words are going to essentially mean nothing. And so that's important to me when I'm thinking of how to communicate what I believe and um, communicate what I'm thinking. I want to talk about things and be able to say grace, but know what I mean when I say grace or talk about what I mean by salvation or gospel or kingdom, Um, all these words. So the one I'm thinking of right now is eternal life. Um, That's been the one that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And I'll pull the caveat how it pulls back into what we were talking about. Um, But the the verse that kind of changed it for me was John 17, 3. I just read the book of John, and I didn't realize how much he talks about uh, eternal life. But he t- talks about eternal life a lot, and in John seventeen three, he actually um, defines it. He's talking, and he says, in John seventeen three, he says, and this is the NIV, he says, now this is eternal life. Um, so he's getting ready to define it. He says, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So I think sometimes the way that we've had a little bit of a, misconception of eternal life is it's seen as um, eternal life is something that you can only experience once you die. Um, Yeah. So this, how Jesus talks about it, though, is that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That talks about it as a quality of life, not a place you go, but a quality of life that's available now. And knowledge is from, I don't really know this from doing my own research, but from reading other people who have done the work, knowledge in the Bible is always described in relational terms when it's described positively. So this is different than the knowledge puffs up. Um, This is knowledge in relational terms. So it's a quality of life, of living life in communion with God. That's eternal life. And um, so thinking about that, it it made me think of, um, well, there's a, a quote from John Ortberg which he says, it means eternal life isn't just about the future. He says, we can have it now. It's not just about there. We can have it here. Most importantly, it's not something we simply receive through a transaction that arranges our future destination. It's something we experience now through becoming Jesus' disciples, which death itself is unable to stop. Yeah. Um, So if I can break in really quick, this is cool because, you know, what what I'm hearing is (laughs) we talked at length about why it's ridiculous to define, well, let's say life, mm-hmm. as what happened before. Like, I used to be alive in my youth, and now whatever. And then what this is saying is life doesn't start after you die, you know? Right. Life is not in the future, and the good life is not in the past. Right. But the good life is to know God right where you stand. Yeah, it's a quality yeah. of how you live. Um, Dallas Willard said he, he, he had pancreatic cancer I think anyway he was on his deathbed and he told I think it was John Orkberg who he told mm-hmm. um, but he was just thinking he said I'm not, I think it might actually take me a while to actually realize that I'm dead 
after I die. <laughs> um, yeah. Because he is a person who had developed a intimate and deep daily communion with God throughout everything he did um, to where he just thought it might take him a little bit to realize he's dead because he tries to live his life in such a way that he's constantly aware of the presence of God. And we think of, okay, because you also actually, so that means that God is, we have access to that quality all around yeah, us. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of like, if you even think of like Jesus' baptism, you know, when it talks about the heavens opened up, the spirit came down. Well, for one, they saw the heavens open up, so it must not be that far away. <laughs> you can't see that far. They heard the voice of the father, so it had to be pretty close. You know, and they see the Spirit descending again. So it's not that far away. It's all around us. Um, And so that's, I think, so, yeah, I'll try to tie this all together then. But so Dallas Willard talks about the kingdom of God as the place where God's effective will is done. Yeah, Um, or, yeah. The range of God's effective will. The kingdom of God is present whenever we obey God. Right, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... So basically the reason the world's a mess is because we all have kingdoms too. Um, and our kingdoms sometimes do not align with God's a lot of times. So becoming a disciple means aligning our will mm-hmm. and the range of our effective will, using it in unity with what God's effective will would be for that situation. Yeah. And it allows so much creative potential. Right. Like love God, love your neighbor, and then Go make stuff. Like, yeah. do whatever you want to do, you know? Yeah. 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 And so thinking of eternal life that way, I mean, because we all know we have kingdoms. I mean, that's the whole terrible twos because their first words, some of the first words <laughs> they learn are mine and no, you know? <laughs> right. It's because they realize that other people have kingdoms that are infringing on their own kingdoms and they don't appreciate that, <laughs> yeah, right? That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and so it didn't take us long to figure out we all have our wills and the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus prayed his kingdom come here on earth. And I think that's our prayer. Like when you're talking about, okay, thinking of America going to hell in a handbasket, I think that is a misunderstanding. I think instead we should think about it. It sounds like how Jesus prayed and how he defined eternal life was not how do we escape down here to go up there, but how do we, sorry about that, but how do we bring what's up there down here? Um, hmm. That's the that's the kingdom come on earth. And that's when our effective wills are in line with God's effective will by understanding every moment of our lives living in um, communion with God and under his lordship, every atom of our body always in in tune with what he would want us to do in the world. And that's hard um, to live. And, you know, it. it's important. I, I think there's, you know, we talk about having faith in Jesus, but there also talks about having faith of Jesus, which the faith of Jesus, I think, is just knowing, living in a constant state of knowing how loved you are by God, um, how cared for you are by him Hmm. and, uh, how you're obedient to him. And so having the faith of Jesus looks something like that. And I figure we're, none of us are really there, but we're on our way. And, um, that, that grows. That's, that's what can grow over time. Um, because it's a relationship. Yeah. It's bigger. And yeah. And it's transformational. And it is, it is transformational so that even while we go, there's life along the way, you know, like, yeah, it's not, it's not something that you reach one day and it's not something that you had one day, right? but it's something that if it's true, then it's true now or yeah. it can be true now. Yeah. 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 
And I'm sorry, my computer's <laughs> making noises. You can mute. There yeah, we go. There All go. right, we're good. It's warning me that my battery's going dead. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I just really like thinking of it that way. I think that's the truth of what the writer was trying to convey to us. And I think that's more in line with what Jesus meant. But I think it just it combats those things where you're it draws you in to a deeper like if I understand this world is infused with God, that changes how I am as a husband. That's going to change how I am as a father, how I interact with my neighbor. If you live in the constant awareness of his presence around you, you know what I mean? Like it's, it is, it just changes how you live. Yeah. Um, it, instead it of is, just trying to survive, exactly. meet the minimal entrance requirements to get to the good <laughs> place once you die, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like punch your ticket. Yeah. Once you get there. Yeah, exactly. So that's what's kind of been on my mind. And I think it kind of segues a little bit with what sure. you've been thinking. So. Should we do one more? We could do one more. What else have you been thinking about? Okay. Right, let's just do this. What what have you been reading or been reading? Been reading or listening to or watching that you would recommend? Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah. So last night I watched this movie called uh, The Fundamentals of Caring. I say we, Alicia and I watched it. Have you okay. seen it? Fundamentals of Caring. The no. Fundamentals of Caring, yeah. Because we wanted to watch this one movie, but it wasn't on Netflix and this one was related, so we're like, okay, sure. And it was actually it was pretty good. I would recommend. Um, so I want to start talking about something I've been thinking about and then I promise it comes back up later. Oh, okay, cool. So in my one class, we've been, we've been talking about this guy named Martin Buber, which my professor just thinks that's the best name ever. (laughs) It kind of is. Um, and he was, I guess, a pretty brilliant guy. So like what, how old is he or is he dead? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Not important. (laughs) Not important. Anyway, his thing, his thing, one of his things is he, he said we, um, we approach all of our communication and really our relationships as either in one of two ways. So the first way is I, thou, and the second way is I, it. So when you approach people in the I, thou mentality, it's me as a person communicating or encountering, I think is his word, you as a person and we're two like two people communicating together versus i it which is when i encounter me my person encounters you as an object and he says that the way that we do that is when instead of encountering them as like god's ideas we encounter them as our own ideas so like when i say okay i'm gonna sit down with colin at 12 o'clock and we're gonna record Mm -hmm. and i say well i know exactly who colin is and like I have all these um, like preconceived notions of you, yeah. and I just assume that I know what you're gonna say, and I know the way that you believe, and I know you. That's my idea of you. Mm-hmm. And so the the context which I've been thinking about this in is especially like serving people. Okay. So when you see someone and you want to serve them, how can we even do that ethically? in the like the I thou context where you see that person with their need as a person and not just a need waiting to be met where you show up and you say hey I know what you need I've got it and I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to help you right and so then the way that this kind of plays out I think is or one way it plays out pretty much in every context you could possibly imagine but one way is when we're going to we say we're going to go help the poor right okay I think 
just lately what I've been thinking about. It's, it's so difficult to ethically help the poor. Like, when mm. you see someone beside the road with a sign, like, we'll work for food. Mm. Like, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? I know what he's up to, right? Yeah. Like, to take he just money. wants money. He's just out there. He's mm-hmm. lazy. He's probably a Democrat. I mean, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> like we just boxes all yeah. the time. And we do this so incredibly. I do this all the time. Yeah. yeah. Like, you see someone and bam, you know what they believe. Or you see someone post something on Facebook you just start throwing them in camps. Like, he's this way, he believes this, he's a jerk, he's this, this, this. And so when you encounter someone, to actually come to the table and say, this is who I am, but then be willing and open to hear what they have to say. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you're counseling someone or when you're hearing their problems and they start telling you, you don't say, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Or, oh, yeah, I, I can completely relate. Mm-hmm. Because you, you've never heard what they mean mm-hmm. from them. You know, you, right. don't, you don't really know. And so kind of... Like, Jesus says that to enter the kingdom of God, we must be like children. And so I wonder if to help to help people, to even to help the poor, you have to be like a child or pretty mature in your faith, mm. you know, to go into that and say, I mean, I don't even know. Like, what, what do you say that's not selfish? Like, I'm, I'm not just here to get credit for meeting your need. I'm not here to fulfill something with myself. So anyway, what I was talking about with the movie, there's this really powerful scene where it's, um, the movie is about a caregiver and this kid who has muscular, muscular dystrophy. And so he, I mean, I don't think I'm ruining the plot of the movie. He's his caregiver and the kid just sits at home all the time and he decides, Hey, we're going to go on this huge trip and we're going to like see the world's deepest pit and the world's biggest cow and all this stuff. Oh, okay. Because he wants to, you know, do this for this kid. And then there's this scene where um, the kid has encountered his father and it really just went terribly and he's really not doing well. And, and the caregiver comes out to him and he's trying to, like, you know, give him a good pep talk. And, and the kid just looks at him and says, you know, this is not about me. He said, this, this trip, this whole thing has never been about me. He said, it's about you. And it's about you redeeming yourself by helping me. Mm. It's not even about me. It's about you. And so, man, I've just been thinking about every time I encounter people, like, am I objectifying them? Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's thought-provoking for sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, because you can be on two different sides of the spectrum. You can not help someone when you see that person beside the road. Right. Immediately because you say they're lazy. You know, they they aren't taking my hard-earned money. Or you can be on the other side where you have a super sensitive conscience and you're going to feel kind of bad if you don't hand out to the nearest person. So to satisfy your guilty conscience, you chuck them a 20 out the window and you're on your mm-hmm. way, but you feel okay about yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, but it's either way, you. you're on the same t- side of the spectrum. Um, so that's really interesting. Do you talk about helpful ways to try to work through that? No, not really. <laughs> no, yeah. I've, I've thought about that too. Like, do I just need more self-talk? Um, reminding, which I think is part of it, reminding me of, you know, this person has a, an intricate background of which I can learn from um, and which it's not just, I'm not just here to meet some guilty conscience thing or here, not here because I put him in a box. Yeah, so... When we encounter people, I, thou, we encounter them as persons, we're encountering the image of God and not the image that we've made of them, you know? So Jesus says, 
when I was hungry, you fed me. And whatever you do to the least of these, you've done to me. Mm-hmm. And so if we can encounter people as the image of God, mm-hmm. as the ideas of God, and not the ideas that we've propped them up to be or the little boxes that we put them into, then I think that's a, that goes a long way in encountering them as people and not as objects. Yeah. Thomas Merton was a, uh, I think he was a monk. Um, yeah. But he, he was in Kentucky. But he described as he prayed that he would be able to see people more like that. Mm-hmm. And what he found is one day he had like this revelation where he saw them all as like burning fires. Mm-hmm. Um, where it was like the glory of the stars were in them. And the glory of the stars, it was like the the, the image of God was just emulating from them like a fire. Um, like it showed it as actual fire in his... Um, and so that was so that was his thing. He he was walking along the street and he got to see everybody, yeah. like balls of fire, mm-hmm. like stars, um, that were all <laughs> reflecting yeah. the image of God. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think it it makes you show up and yeah. willing to listen to people instead of showing up just to help them. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I'm still thinking about what that means for for me and my just encounters with everyone. But um, yeah, do you have do you have anything else? Or should we wrap up? We can wrap up with that. It's, but I think like what you're talking about is understanding. It is you have to come at it from a humble perspective too, where you understand in that we are leaning into the truth, but no one of us has exclusive claim on our like the truth is. We all. I'll be careful. How I say this because we understand. Jesus as the way, the truth, the life, and we're all leaning into that. We do not understand fully, and so part of our human endeavor is, as a community, understanding more fully what the truth, the way the truth and the life looks like. Mm-hmm. And that's not done in isolation, and that's not done on your own. Um, you don't have that much insight, <laughs> and you need you need your community. You need people from different layers. You need yeah. it's just it's a multifaceted project. And it's what we're doing. And hopefully we're getting better. <laughs> getting at somewhere. It. Yeah, hopefully we're getting somewhere. Yeah. So this has been um, episode seven. Thanks for thanks for doing this. Yeah, with this me. is fun. Um, next week we've got Carlin. Carlin's coming on. That's gonna be fun. most likely. Yeah. Hopefully. Need, yeah. I need to check his schedule for sure. I'll get with him this weekend and cool. Make sure that's all worked out. But all right, man. That'll this be great. Good. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And yep. we will see you next week. See you, everybody.